And now we move into the part of our program where real people are here with us. <laughs> a little bit of levity. It's a good thing, right? Let's hope this works seamlessly. the anticipation of no signal. There we go. All right. Um, so this is really not one of those opening false modesty statements, <laughs> but I really feel like I'm punching way above my weight class and being asked to kind of parachute in here. In the, in the addendum program, it says I'm replacing Greg Tate, which is one of the more, ins <laughs> one of the more insane things I've ever seen, because I'm not sure anyone on the planet could replace <laughs> Greg Tate. Um, but I do thank Daphne for inviting me to sort of try to share some thoughts here. Uh, and I know both, based on both what we have heard and what we will hear, um, there's going to be some really, you know, A-game analysis of the message and music of the albums. Really what I wanted to focus on in my, my opening comments here was really about the, the, the literal initial reception of the album, how most of us, or at least some of us in this room, first came to hear these albums. Uh, and that's really what I'm going to focus on. I think for those of us who grew up uh, buying records from actual record stores on non-record store day days, for example, uh, a Tuesday release date was something to build your week around. I have very fond and formative memories of being in college uh, in Berkeley in the early 90s and anxiously waiting for Leopold's records to open so I could rush in and pick up whatever new album it, 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 it was that I'd been waiting for. But more than just being able to acquire the album, there was also an excitement in knowing that every other fan of this artist or this LP was doing the exact same thing, more or less at the same time. Uh, and fast forward a few years, and when I first started to review records, I began to get sent album releases. And sure, I felt special to know that I had the new Tribe Called Quest album before anybody else, even if, yes, that album was only the love movement and not Midnight Marauders. <laughs> Only later did I realize what I had lost with that privilege, which was the ability to experience the listening and absorption process of, a new, of new music in real time with my friends and peers. It's more fun talking about a great secret than simply possessing one. And this has only become, I think, compounded over the last 10 years because so many albums get leaked first or are previewed on iTunes or full-streamed on NPR very few album releases feel like they're accompanying, accompanied with any sense of significance around their actual arrival. Music, in my mind, and this is perhaps some I'm really old now remark, but music seems so ubiquitous that even new releases feel like they arrive old. That's why I loved how both Black Messiah and To Pimp a Butterfly arrived the way that they did. And for me, being on the West Coast, that meant that each album dropped around 9 p.m. on a Sunday night and once the news started going out, it felt like everyone I knew uh, on social media was undergoing the same experience as I was, an experience that I shall now recreate with emojis. <laughs> oh, my God, the new D'Angelo album is here. Wait, are you sure this isn't a joke? Because we've been promised the new D'Angelo album for 15 years, and it hasn't shown up yet. No, no, it's real. Oh, my God, I'm downloading it now. And then this was my favorite part, which was everyone was listening to the album together in real time, sharing instant opinions on every song in its sequenced order. 
And sure, at some point later in that evening, there'd be some kind of flame war that would break out <laughs> about whether or not D'Angelo or Kendrick Lamar or Rihanna, I guess, is a genius or not. But for those brief few hours, you could enjoy some peace, love, and happiness and really good music. In any case, at a time in which the music industry has now decided to foist a global release day upon us, it's endearing to see that there are some artists who are bucking those pressures and dropping their albums whenever they damn well seem to please. Now, of course, the caveat here is that there's only a tiny elite group of artists who can successfully pull this off. <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, what these surprise releases brought back, at least to me, was that immediacy, that vital social connection that comes with listening to music with, the people, with other people at the same time. And especially on those two Sunday nights, it felt giddy to know that everyone was listening in that real-time setting. None of us had a head start on these albums. Instead, we waded into them together, free of filter, free of the inevitable hot takes and 10,000-word think pieces that would eventually follow in the days to come. But for those precious hours, it felt like being at an awesome listening party just without any helicopter publicists around. <laughs> it was a powerful reminder of what Simon Frith has called music's power to create a spontaneous collective identity as well as a public intimacy. Most importantly, the, simultane the simultaneity of listening to them inadvertently mirrored other moments of collective, of collective witnessing that we've become accustomed to in an age of social uh, media. And that includes watching everything from the you know, Black Lives Matter hashtag, uh, uh, Black, Black Lives Matter hashtag taking off, staying up late to watch a live stream out of Ferguson, um, having a dozen posts show up in your newsfeed all about the latest police atrocity. We've become inured to watching and listening to many other events, many of them despairing, in realer than real time. I think that's why Black Messiah and To Pimp a Butterfly felt like they've dropped at exactly the right time, especially with D'Angelo, his return after, again, nearly 15 years, felt nothing short of miraculous, and Black, and Black Messiah arrived right as we were deep in the throes of the Michael Brown and Eric Garner protests in the age of I Can't Breathe tease and in the wake of cowardly grand juries. Black Messiah and To Pimp a Butterfly both felt instantly reassuring, comforting, and most of all, restorative. The album seemed to appear at the exact time that we needed something that could offer a momentary salve to our collective pain and deliver us from our darkest rage. So what I'm saying is that it wasn't just that these two albums thematically and lyrically com comment upon brutality and, and injustice, racism, and hate. We already have plenty of other voices that have, are capable and have been doing that. What's special is the way in which these albums appeared, fully formed, seemingly out of the blue, that allowed them to create this temporary intervention in a moment of crisis and peril that we find ourselves in. Whether D'Angelo and Kendrick intended to, their album releases mirrored the unruly energy of other spontaneous, spontaneous experiences, but channeled that energy in a more hopeful, pleasurable, and inspirational way. And when I was thinking about this topic, two quotes kept uh, popping into mind. And the first is half-remembered. I feel bad that I don't, can't remember the exact quote or the proper citation. But it was in a column that was written the night after the, uh, Obama's first election uh, in 2008. And the basic observation in the column was that we've become accustomed as Americans to witness collectively on television or through other forms of media tragedies and, uh, and uh, tragedies in real time, whether we're talking about 
uh, you know, the, the original bombing of Iraq, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. But as the column pointed out, uh, you know, his victory celebration, uh, and just the fact that Obama won in 2008, was an, an event where millions were witnessing uh, this event at the same time, but it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a terrible thing for a change. And that meant something that night. The second quote is the very first quote that came to mind about these two albums and their arrival. And this one comes from, Nas from Nasir Jones. And if one needed a pithy way to sum up the import of both D'Angelo and Kendrick Lamar's albums these last few months, uh, I think this quote sums it up as well as anybody can. Thank you very much.